SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hour three, it's happy hour here on the morning after on SportsGrid. You're listening on Sirius XM channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. In our final hour of the show, we're going to give you Major League Baseball picks for the early leans on this card tonight. Not a lot of games on the slate yet. We'll see if we get some good value out there for tonight's games. Also, we're going to have a new guest joining us coming up next. He's the host of the Big 12 fall. Uh, he's the host of the Big 12 show on Sirius XM, Ari Temkin. We'll talk about that Big 12 fallout and the teams that have been leaving to go to the SEC. And FanDuel's Worldwide Wob, Rob Perez, will join us as our final guest of the day. We'll break down Team USA. We've got free agency in the NBA. Yeah, that started this mm. morning. The NBA talk just doesn't end. First, West Coast wake up. The Los Angeles Dodgers pick up the win last night over the Arizona Diamondbacks. Mookie Betts hits a home run. The Dodgers win. The over cashes. Second most overs for home games in Arizona for the Diamondbacks this year. The second most overs of anyone in Major League Baseball, Ben. And that might be something I look to today. It's something that Tom Vecchio said in his home run prop segment about the idea that Brandon Crawford at plus 310 for the Giants in Arizona today might be something to look to. Also very important to know the D-backs do play the second highest percentages of their games going to the over at nearly 63% when the D-backs are at home. But a great sign for Dodgers fans to have a healthy Mookie Betts back, contributing to an offensive onslaught, winning 13 to nothing. And now the National League West Division, and we've been paying attention to this at all times, Ariel, continues and continues to get spicier by the day, it feels like. The Dodgers, three games back at the moment of the Giants, who took two or three from the Houston Astros, the best team in the American League, over the weekend. The Giants still the best record in all of Major League Baseball. A three-game lead, yet... The Dodgers, the favorite in the division at minus 170. The Giants, the second shortest odds at plus 145. And for what it's worth, the San Diego Padres, the third shortest odds now at 10 to 1, plus 1,000. But we have seen just tons of movement in the National League West. Because, Ariel, you remember, after the Dodgers traded for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, the blockbuster trade on Thursday night, on Friday morning, the Dodgers once again were a minus 210 favorite to win the National League West, despite the fact the Giants still held a three-game lead in that division. So those odds have become shorter over the weekend based on what the Giants did, I think, in that weekend series against the Houston Astros. But this is the most exciting division in all of baseball, and it's reflected in the odds market right now. The Dodger, or excuse me, the Giants are nine wins away from going over their win total, and we're only in the month of August. The preseason win total for the Giants was at 75, even money, minus 110 aside. The Giants have 66 wins currently. As for the Los Angeles Dodgers, their win total to start the year, uh, I'm trying to get the number out here. So the Dodgers were at 103 and a half preseason for their win total, and the Dodgers sitting at 64 probably sweating that out it was a big number to have to ask for and the Dodgers at an over 100 win total I was staying away from any of those just because it just felt way too high to try to get a try to get a number on but to see that the San Francisco Giants 
are only in the month of August, and they're going to go over their win total most likely this month, before September even hits. If you had that, congratulations. You are one of the smartest people ever. Please DM me, tweet at me. I want to know if you had San Francisco's win total to the over. That is a heck of a bet. Probably the best bet you could have placed all preseason in Major League Baseball. Welcome to our Sports Grid Radio audience. Third final hour here in the morning after. Sirius XM Channel 204, the Mightier 1090 on the West Coast. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. The San Francisco Giants have a three-game lead of the National League West over the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Padres six and a half games back of the Giants. Padres have to just try to get into the wild card. That's what I've deem them as but for the Dodgers Ben I mean you're from LA you know the Dodgers you've grown up rooting for them how much do you see these next two months that the Dodgers could get healthy in addition to having Max Scherzer now on the mound for them coming over from Washington that that could be what catapults them into the first place spot I mean that's what the hope is right and I think that's a very important distinction to make Ariel I think all three of these teams although the Padres have a lot more ground to make up than the rest want to be in that top spot, the winners of the National League West, because the other two teams coming out of this division will more than likely make up the National League wild card. And in a one-game scenario, you don't want to play any team coming out of the NL West right now, whether it's the Dodgers, the Padres, or the Giants. To be in that scenario when you have to win one game to continue your march into the postseason is not something you want to be the part of. So the Dodgers, although they will be in the playoffs, the Padres, although they will be in the playoffs, are not done gunning for that top spot in the National League West. I really think that will be a huge, important factor for the Dodgers as they get healthy, as they add Clayton Kershaw back to the fold. Max Scherzer in there. Walker Buehler, now the favorite on FanDuel to win the National League Cy Young. Julio Rios has been so good this year. But as they continue to try to get back in the National League West picture, this will be the part of it. The fact that you could look down that lineup and you could see Trey Turner with Max Muncie and a healthy Justin Turner and a healthy Cody Bellinger and a healthy Corey Seager and all of that rounded into one with Mookie Betts in there as well. I mean, it will be a true murderer's row of an offensive lineup for the Dodgers, and that will be a very scary thing for any team in the National League to deal with. But I do believe, Ariel, the Dodgers are certainly gunning for that top spot. Minus 170 is the favorites right now on FanDuel. I think they want to cash that ticket because they do not want to be in the National League wild card having to battle it up against a divisional foe in that one-game scenario. I do find it interesting because you mentioned Trey Turner, who's now newly with the Dodgers. He has the second-best odds behind Fernando Tatis Jr. to win the National League MVP. Tatis minus 125, Turner plus 350. Tatis going on the 10-day IL. Saw what it did to the Grom. He now has the six best odds to win the Cy Young after being favored. Maybe there's value there on Turner to win the National League MVP. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by a guest who's going to talk Big 12 football. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
Welcome back to the morning after on Sports Grid. You're listening on Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. We're going to talk some college football here, and the Big 12 is losing two key teams. They're going to lose Texas. They're going to lose Oklahoma. Ben, what does it say about the Big 12 now that they've lost three major programs in the last few years, including Nebraska? The Big 12 is dead. That's what it says about the Big 12. The Big 12 has come and gone. The two founding members of the Big 12 Conference, Oklahoma and Texas, the two members that really meant something in terms of national prominence are now gone. Because on Friday, the SEC presidents formally invited Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, which they have accepted. So now it's just a matter of timing. Texas and Oklahoma currently have their grant rights within the Big 12 Conference until 2025. But there's no way we have this awkward four-year span where Oklahoma and Texas are just playing in the Big 12. There will be tons of lawyers involved. There will be tons of contractual obligations buyout talk, big, big money, but that is the case of what OU and Texas are going to join, the big, big money of the SEC and the TV media rights deals that waits on the horizon with Disney and ESPN for the SEC that begins in 2024. But the Big 12 is done. Now the Big 12 has to figure out what exactly they want to do. Are they going to take the eight remaining teams they have and try to merge with another league? Could it be the Pac-12? Could it be the American? Are those individual schools within the Big 12 going to try to find their other Power 5 conferences to take advantage of? Will we see some schools go out west of the Pac-12? Might we see teams like Kansas, Iowa State try to join the Big 10 and the Midwestern geography of all of that? That remains to be seen. And the timing is the biggest issue as it pertains to Oklahoma and Texas. But the Big 12, as we know it, is dead. Bye-bye to the Big 12. (laughs) How much could you see another team coming into the mix? Because there's going to be teams that want to be more relevant. UCF is the one that stands out the most to me, Ben, because this is a team that has claimed that they've won national championships before. They deserve to be in the mix because they were undefeated for a couple of years. UCF, it's just very tough for a team, especially in the American, when you're not in a Power Five. It's tough to recruit. Yet if you could go into the Big 12 and be taken seriously by the college football committee, someone like a UCF seems like it would be an intriguing offer. It would be, but that will be an important distinction to make. Exactly what will the Big 12 and maybe some AAC schools that join it, how will they be looked on? Are they still going to be considered a Power 5 conference? Will they still have that benefit of the doubt for the college football playoff committee? Will the CFP, when it ultimately changes here in a couple of years and expands to 12, now the timing of that has been a little bit altered by Texas and Oklahoma leaping to the SEC, but how exactly will that look? So I think that's a big portion of it. And as we are seeing across the landscape of college athletics, the reason that Texas and Oklahoma are going to join the SEC is not a competition thing. It's a revenue thing. It's a money thing. They want to be a part of the TV rights deals that the SEC has a part of. So will these schools like UCF, in Memphis and Houston from the American if they join the Big 12 or they just form that one big league together how will they be received in front of the media companies that will be bidding for their TV rights are they going to be lucrative that's the question that I think arises about some of these schools from a prominent standpoint and other conferences wanting to add them do they present you value when it comes to TV rights there might be history there there might be tradition there there might be the geographic sense of joining a new conference but As we have seen, Ariel, that really pales in comparison with the decision makers in big time college athletics as in comparison to just TV rights in general and the money that you can garner. So that will be the interesting thing moving forward. The Big 12 odds have Oklahoma as the favorite, minus 170 to win the conference. 
Iowa State plus 250, Oklahoma State at 12 to 1, Texas at 12 to 1, TCU 12 to 1, and West Virginia 25 to 1. That's your top six. Ben, when it comes to these other teams, even if it's a Baylor, a Kansas, a Texas Tech, Kansas State, West Virginia, when they go up against teams like Oklahoma or Texas, how much more could you see those teams stepping up to the plate and saying, hey, we're going to play you hard because we're over you. You are leaving us. We're done. Maybe teams cover the spread that normally wouldn't have in the past. Oh, I think everybody is going to be gunning for Texas this year. And as you see what I am doing, this would be a 15-yard penalty, according to the Big 12. Horns down. I think the Big 12 is going to turn a blind eye to that this year because they are not happy with Texas. And frankly, Oklahoma hasn't taken a lot of the shine. It's all been really at Texas. And I think this year, teams are going to be gunning for OU and Texas and saying, all right, you're out of our conference. Here's our best shot each and every week. So the horns down is, I think, something you will be seeing on a regular basis on Saturdays in Big 12 competition. But I think you're right. I wouldn't look at it from a conference perspective and these divisional odds. Oklahoma is the odds-on favorite for a very good reason at minus 170. OU has won this conference the past six seasons, all four years under Lincoln Riley. So they should be the favorite, and rightfully so. Even last year, when they lost three regular season games, they responded with a Big 12 championship over Iowa State. Iowa State returns so much talent at plus 250. I still think that odd is a little bit short. That number you see there on Iowa State is a little bit too short for me to dive in on. If you're looking for value, and although you might see a ton of horns down, I still think Texas has some value. The first year of Steve Sarkeesian, now it's the future for Texas. How will they look as they try to be competitive in the SEC here moving forward? Texas has only won three conference championships over the past 25 years. I think they want to show from a prominent standpoint, a competitive level, they are ready for the big boys of the Southeastern Conference coming up in just a couple of years. So I think the new era with Steve Sarkeesian, you have some really talented pieces on offense with Casey Thompson as the quarterback, Bijan Robinson, who is electric in the backfield at plus 1,200. If Texas's defense is good, the offense can put up 45 points in Big 12 shootouts. Texas will be competitive in a lot of games. So at 12 to 1, I don't mind UT's odds this year for the Big 12. But you bring up a great point, Ariel, on a week-by-week basis of some of these schools like a TCU, like a Baylor, like an Oklahoma State that have just kind of been spurned now by the big dogs, Texas and Oklahoma, leaving the Big 12, maybe trying to show, hey, we're not little brother. We're here that we can also compete on a national landscape in college football. So I think that might be something to take into consideration from a motivation standpoint as we look at spreads and maybe lofty spreads on a week-to-week basis in Big 12 football. Looking at the FBS championship, you have Alabama at plus 250 to win it all. Clemson plus 400, Georgia 5 to 1, Ohio State 6 to 1, Oklahoma 8 to 1, and Iowa State 25 to 1. Even if you say that one of those top two teams in the Big 12, whether it's Oklahoma, Iowa State, ends up winning the conference, the odds aren't indicating that those two teams are inside the top four for the college football playoff. The odds are indicating that it's going to be Big 10 SEC and that's oh, an ACC with Clemson. That's it. Out of the four teams that are at the top end, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, if, let's say, Oklahoma is as good as the odds are saying, minus 170 to win the conference, which of the top four could you see Oklahoma knocking off? Well, I think it would have to be Georgia and or Alabama because if you look at the SEC odds right now, Alabama is the odds-on favorite at minus 160. Georgia is the second-shortest odds at plus 190. They will meet 
in the SEC championship game more than likely because Georgia is the favorite to win the SEC East, which is... Well, at times it has been the lesser of the two divisions, but the SEC West has just been ran by Alabama. And if LSU is not quite up there this year, Alabama should get a bid in the SEC championship game. So it will be Alabama versus Georgia in the SEC championship game. And it will be interesting to decide based on where they might look record-wise at that point in the first weekend in December. If one of those two teams knocks off the other, then how will that other team, the loser of the SEC title game, be viewed by the college football playoff committee do not forget that week one of the college football season georgia takes on clemson so one of those two teams will have a loss very early on so that will be interesting to see how another loss in sec competition would affect that team either in alabama or a georgia depending on what might play out for the rest of the sec championship season so something to keep in mind i do think oklahoma has good value at plus 800, maybe not to win the national championship, but I think to get in the college football playoff because if they run the Big 12 and it looks like they will, I think it would be hard for the CFP committee to pass on the Sooners. I wonder how much week one is going to play a factor into the college football playoff committee between Clemson and Georgia. Week one. I can't wait for it, though. Coming up next, Major League Baseball picks. Stay right here on the grid, Sirius XM Channel 204. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. We're going to the Major League Baseball card today where favorites went 11 and 4 straight up yesterday. Since we're going to look at baseball, we're going to look at the props. Let's get to K props. We should have this graphic. Our friend of the show, mid-major Matt, always tweets out the K-prop trends of the week. And he's been going through these similar K-prop trends for the last few months of the season. Here it is. So the one that's most relevant today is that 37 of 52 opposing starters against the Pirates have had five strikeouts or less. Today, the Milwaukee Brewers starter is Eric Lauer. He hasn't really had too many strikeouts, and I'm going to look now because I should have done this in the commercial break. That's my bad. But I did want to see what Lauer's strikeout prop was going to be today against the Pirates. Oh, um, and it's you're not, not going to oh, like no, it. Oh, no. It's at five and a half. Okay, I'm okay with that because it's five strikeouts or less against Pittsburgh. So if you bet the under five and a half, juice. it is heavily juiced, minus 166. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. If you want to lay it... There are betters that do that. I'm not going to lay what minus 166. You could probably do alternate strikeouts, um, but it's still heavily juiced also. So that stinks, but it's still a trend to keep an eye out for. And if you want to lay the juice at minus 166, or if you want to do some kind of same game parlay with that action, if you feel the Brewers are going to win this game over the Pittsburgh Pirates, then you could go and try to parlay in a same game parlay the under for the strikeout prop and also bet let's see if we could do it the brewers and are they going to let us do a strikeout prop 
Oh, this. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Strikeouts under five and a half. Parlay plus one forty-two. Brewers money line. Oh. under five and a half strikeouts. There you go. Plus one forty-two. Boom. Easy money. Mm -hmm. That's how you do it. That's how you do a strikeout prop right there. I was also looking, Ariel, at a strikeout prop actually for the early game today, 3.08 p.m. Eastern, between Toronto and Cleveland up in the Great okay. White North. And I was looking at Robbie Ray. And Robbie Ray has the fifth most strikeouts in all of Major League Baseball this year with 150 Ooh. total Underrated. of any starting pitcher. Robbie Ray has been fantastic. He has been really, really good. And I noticed something about the Cleveland Indians since returning from the All-Star break late last week. They have one of the highest K rates in all of Major League Baseball since coming yep. back from the All-Star break, where through a good majority of the year, they were around like 18th, 19th, so not yep. a very high K rate for most of the year. However, that has all come against right-handed pitching because Cleveland has the third highest K rate against right-handed pitching since the All-Star break at 27.3%, but versus left-handed pitching since the All-Star break, the fourth lowest K rate at 16 0.9%. So I thought we'd be able to target the Cleveland Indians today, but Robbie Ray, being a left-handed pitcher, I don't really think I love the number anymore. It's seven and a half. The over has the plus money at plus 108. As I mentioned, Robbie Ray, the fifth most strikeouts in all of Major League Baseball this year. So I looked kind of like in a same-game parlay, but just the player performance double backing Robbie Ray in six strikeouts and a Toronto Blue Jays win. Robbie Ray has had at least six strikeouts in six of his last seven starts, the Blue Jays are a minus 260 favorite for this game against Cleveland. So you can get Robbie Ray for six strikeouts and a Toronto win straight up for minus 115. Much better odds, and you don't have to pay nearly as much juice for the Blue Jays to win this game. And you're going a strikeout and a half less than Robbie Ray's K prop at seven and a half. So I don't mind the six strikeouts for Robbie Ray and a Toronto Blue Jays win at minus 115. The Blue Jays a heavy favorite. Robbie Ray still very, very good. I just don't think he gets to eight strikeouts. He can get six strikeouts, though, and he's done that in six of his last seven. Another pitcher I'm targeting is Michael Waka, the starting pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays are up against the Seattle Mariners, who have the highest K rate in baseball, striking out just over 26% of the time throughout the whole season. When it comes to highest K rate against right-handed pitchers, the Mariners own that too, striking out just under 26% of the time. Michael Walker's a righty, and against teams with the top 10 K rate against right-handed pitchers, with his strikeout prop of over four and a half, he's hit this number in four out of the six games. He's also hit this number in five out of his last six outings, no matter which team he's up against. Waka over four and a half with plus money at plus 110. It's good value. Mm. A little fishy, but good value. Four and a half to the over. The only reason it's probably a little low is because in July, the K rate for the Mariners has dropped by about 1%. I'm still going to lean to the over on Waka just because plus 110 over four and a half. He's done that in five of his last six. Waka to the over is the only other strikeout prop that I'm looking at today, Ben. Where else are you looking? And Chris Flexen has been our guy. The starter for the Mariners today in opposition to Michael Walker down in Tampa Bay. By the way, the Rays play a lot of home overs at the Trop. In the last time Chris Flexen was on the bump, we were actually looking at maybe a first five total for Chris Flexen. I think facing Lance McCullers Jr. of the Houston Astros. Well, in that outing, that most recent outing last week for Chris Flexen, four innings pitched, nine hits given up seven earned runs allowed so something to keep in mind as you look at the tampa bay rays who are streaking right now they have won four straight they have a game and a half lead in the al east 
other things to keep in mind. The Tampa Bay Rays now have the second or tied for the best record, I should say, in the American League. The team with the best record in the National League, the team with the best record in all of baseball. The San Francisco Giants are on the road today in the desert taking on the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, as Ariel mentioned earlier in the show, Arizona has the second highest over percentage in games played at home in Phoenix all season long, just shy of 63% at 62.7% specifically there. The Giants are a team that don't, they don't necessarily play to the over all that much. At home they do, and I think at times that's the wind blowing out to McCovey Cove, but on the road and as away favorites, and the Giants are heavy away favorites, minus 190 right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook, they have the third highest under percentage at nearly 68% of their games going under when the Giants are away favorites. But for reasons that Tom Vecchio pointed out and the reason that he likes Brandon Crawford's home run prop against Taylor Widener today, the starter for the Arizona Diamondbacks, this San Francisco Giants offense was red hot over the weekend. Seven home runs over the past two days. Yes, it was up in the Bay in San Francisco. But the Giants also, when you look at their over percentages in divisional games, of which this is one against the Arizona Diamondbacks in the NL West, they have the sixth highest over percentage in divisional games. So I've been talking myself into this all day. The Giants team total of five and a half, even money to the over against the D-backs today because they're in the desert. The Diamondbacks play a lot of home overs. I think I'm liking the Giants and leaning towards their over of their team total at five and a half. I like that you're going there because I like the over for the first five innings of over five and a half. Seven of the ten matchups between the Giants and the Diamondbacks has gone over this number this year when they faced off. You mentioned the high, uh, the high overs, second most overs at home for Arizona, hitting at just under 63%. San Francisco and Arizona also are top five with the most overs within their division. If they're playing a divisional opponent, they tend to hit the over more than the under. San Francisco at 57%, Arizona at just under 57%. Those two can hit to the over, so I'm going to say first five is to the over. Six or more of those runs being scored in the first five innings in seven of those ten games. That's all I've really got today for this slate. It's a short slate. The other uh, way you could approach this Yankees and Orioles game today with the Yankees as heavy favorites is fading their starting pitcher, Andrew Heaney. I know that Tom Vecchio gave out the under six and a half strikeouts for Heaney. I am concerned about how long he could go in this game. You never know with a new stadium and a debut how hard a pitcher could throw or how well he's going to do. Heaney got destroyed at Yankee Stadium just last month. He gave up like seven runs, uh, and he's given up mm. six of his last seven starts have gone uh, over the number for the team total for the Orioles of three and a half. Six of his last seven starts, the opposition's gone over that number. And June 29th was the day he gave up seven earned runs in just three innings at Yankee Stadium, Ben. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it as well. Andrew Heaney making his debut for the Yankees. Maybe a little bit uncomfortable to start. So a good spot to look at. Other games across the board, like you mentioned, a pretty short slate of Major League Baseball games on this Monday. That's often the case on Mondays. It's getaway days. Teams are taking the day off. So whatever it might be, not a ton of games. I am intrigued by the game between the Mets and the Marlins, a NL East divisional battle, because like Tom Vecchio said, he expects the Marlins starter to be Jesus Lazardo, who came over in the trade where Starling Marte went to the Oakland Athletics. Jesus Lazardo back to the Miami Marlins. Jesus Lazardo, as Craig Mish let us know, is a Miami native, making a restart a start back in his home ballpark. The total is what intrigues me. It's at seven and a half. Now Tyler McGill for the Mets 
has been so, so, so good here as of late. And you have a Marlins offense that really is not one of the best in all of Major League Baseball, a bottom five offense in all of Major League Baseball. So I might look to the Marlins team total and potentially taking an under here because Tyler McGill has been so good as of late. I watched Tyler McGill in a pitching matchup against Max Fried at City Field last week just absolutely deal only one earned allowed and as we know the Mets play a ton of games to the under at City Field the most unders in all of Major League Baseball at home this season this one obviously on the road but Tyler McGill in his last couple of starts I think he's really pitched a couple of shutouts or has been hovering around that one earned run yeah in in his last five starts Tyler McGill has given up just three earned runs total two of those have been shutouts the other three one earned run a piece. So Tyler McGill has been lights out, and maybe that's an area to play today for the Mets against the Marlins down in Miami. We took advantage of McGill last week, I'm pretty sure. His last outing, I'm pretty sure we mm. bet some kind of under with the McGill game because it was him, and I forget what team they played, but they were playing at City Field, which is the home of the most unders in Major League Baseball this year. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Worldwide Wob Rob Perez from FanDuel. We'll break down Team USA. We've got a lot happening in free agency with the NBA, considering certain players have decided to opt out of contracts and maybe get new ones with their respected teams or switch teams. You're listening here on Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. More from the morning after up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Here on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Joining us, Worldwide Wob Rob Perez from FanDuel. Young, looking better than ever. He's on this break. He's looking like he's rested, ready to go. All right, Rob, I hope you had a good weekend. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> 33 is the new 27 last time I checked. And uh, the yeah. youth, is, as you can tell, is just uh, pouring through me at this very early hour of 11.40 a.m. At least it's not the NBA season anymore, yet unfortunately, Team USA men's basketball, they do play very late, close to 1 a.m. on the East Coast. What have your overall thoughts been about Team USA's future in these Olympic Games? I think they're kind of proven to us that they are the best team on paper. I mean, the Czech Republic isn't France. It's not Spain, who's the defending World Cup champions. Uh, they're certainly not Slovenia with Luka Doncic and that the United States will be tested here in the next week against legitimate powerhouses internationally. But you have to think that they've at least figured it out on the defensive side. And what I mean by that is when Team USA is able to get a stop and or a turnover and get out into transition where all of those superstar athletes can spread their wings and fly, that's where the United States is really going to thrive. It's what we said the same about all of the best teams in the NBA, whether it was the Lakers, it was the Phoenix Suns taking care of the ball, not to let Milwaukee get out and transition in the finals. you got to treat the basketball the same way against Team USA that you would against any NBA team. 
because once again, if you let them get out on a three-on-one, three-on-two break, it's a guaranteed two points at the minimum. There are no transition take fouls permitted in FIBA. Once that are they're ruled an intentional foul, and then you get two shots in the ball. So letting them get out in the transition is penalized even more in this style of play. And now that they've kind of figured out their interior like defense situation there with Bam and uh, not starting Draymond anymore, uh, you have to think that the United States has, moving forward, has the matchups uh, to compete against these teams that have superstar international players. And that, you know what's funny is when you go through that list, this, we do our top fives, top tens in the NBA all the time. Internationally, Patty Mills, Evan Fournier, and Ricky Rubio, and Luka Doncic, obviously, are the equivalent of LeBron, Durant, and Giannis in the NBA. As soon as they put on their international uniforms, they just become these A-list superstars uh, for the past decade plus. So the United States is eventually going to have to go through at least two of those, and I think they're prepared for it. One of those superstars, not only just in the NBA, but at least at the Olympic level as well, Kevin Durant becoming the all-time leading scorer for Team USA men's basketball with 23 big ones against the Czech Republic. What have you made of KD's oncoming here, Rob, and how he's played so far in the Tokyo Olympics? Well, he hasn't been great until this most recent game when he broke the record. And by great, we're expecting 25, 10, and 5, even in a shortened 10-minute quarter game that the FIBA style is. We haven't seen Kevin Durant leave his print on a game yet. Okay, he may have put up some statistics in a blowout, but when when we're getting down the stretch here and the game is tied, you're going to Kevin Durant the same way that the United States went to Kobe Bryant back on the Redeem team, that they went to Carmelo Anthony four years later. You need a guy that you can just pass the ball to in the half court where most of the FIBA uh, style of play is is happening and say, dude, we need two points. Go get them. And Kevin Durant is not even through it. Granted, it was exhibitions, but we haven't seen that yet. And he hasn't really been tested other than against France. But uh, that game against the Czech Republic, he's starting to flex his muscles a little bit. And if he starts to get into a one-on-one battle against those Ricky Rubio's, Patty Mills, Luka Doncic's, those stars of international FIBA play, uh, I'm going to expect Kevin Durant to get better and better as this tournament progresses. Rob, I just can't believe this women's basketball team hasn't been talked about as much, and I'm not sure how closely you've been following them, but the women's basketball team picks up another win. They're at least undefeated. What is it about this women's basketball team that's been so dominant? Well, I mean, if you want to talk about dream teams, when was the last time the United States women lost uh, a group that the stat popped up on my timeline this morning? It's been like two decades or something since they last lost a group stage. They faced their toughest test last night but when you got stars like wilson is doing what kevin durant should be doing for the men's team right whether it's sue berber diana tarazi this is the women's equivalent of the dream team mvps champions as far as the eye could see so if you enjoy the sport of basketball uh embrace what you're watching here because we may not see a talented roster like this for the united states women or men for quite some time And Rob, as we mentioned, as you came on, Team USA in their quarterfinal matchup against Spain tonight, 12.40 a.m. Eastern, so I guess early tomorrow morning. Team USA is favored by 12.5. How do you break down this game between the Spaniards and the Americans? It's the old guard. It's the old guard of Spain. Again, they are the defending World Cup gold, gold champions here, and they've been playing together now for two decades. That is 
Rubio when he came in as a 14-year-old, the Gasols, all the above. I'm expecting Juan Carlos Navarro to come running out of the tunnel like the ultimate warrior and rip off his warm-ups <laughs> and get back into this game with Rudy Fernandez. So there are former NBA players, current NBA players, as far as the eye can see. Uh, they have chemistry. They have experience. They have coaching. They have all the above. But at the end of the day, what you're looking at right here is they're 12-point underdogs. After all those accolades that I just gave them, there's a reason why. They are 12-point underdogs, and it's because the United States has more talent, has more youth, has more athleticism, and this game will likely be close. I will call it, let's say, a five-point deficit either way, uh, differential after the third quarter. Spain could be leading for all we know, but based on what we saw from Kevin Durant there in the game against the Czech Republic, when the United States avalanches, the, uh, the snowball turns into an avalanche pretty dang quick. And uh, I don't know if Spain has the athletic ability to keep up with the United States in transition. So when they get out and go, uh, they're really going to kill Spain. And Pal Gasol, God bless him, he is one of the greatest international players of all time. But at his age, are they going to be able to take care of the basketball with him on the court, in the half court? And they don't really have anyone that can break down the United States off the dribble. Uh, there's a lot of dribble handoffs going on, a lot of flex cuts and elevator screens and things like that. It's it's beautiful basketball to watch, but at the end of the day, the United States is just too good, I think, individually. Worldwide Wild, Rob Perez joining us from FanDuel. Now moving into NBA free agency, which started today. Who's going to be the first player on the move, Rob? Based on what we've seen, I think it's got to be Kyle Lowry going to Miami. I mean, if Woj continues to uh, set us up like this is going to happen pretty dang quick, then it's probably going to happen. Uh, Pat Riley has been angling to bring on Kyle Lowry for a couple of seasons now, and whether this occurs through, I don't necessarily think it could happen, uh, as a just straight uh, signing through unrestricted free agency, because Kyle Lowry needs to get paid a lot of money. And because of that, there's a reason why Goran Dragas just picked up his player option. He could very well be on the move with Precious Achawa, uh, Precious Achawa, excuse me, going going through a sign and trade between Miami up to Toronto. So look for a sign and trade of some kind uh, very quickly at the beginning of free agency. <clears throat> Rob, both Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard declining their player options as free agency has begun. Do you think either of those two guys will be on new teams this upcoming season? Name those players again. Sorry, I was mid-cough. <laughs> no, no worries. Kawhi Leonard and Chris Paul, both declining their player options. Either of them on the move this offseason? Certainly not Chris Paul. He turned down his gigantic $44.2 million player option. Uh, the only way he said he would ever turn that down is if he gave me a reason to. So it's, I think it's, he's going to probably get a three-year, $90 million-esque extension from the Phoenix Suns to stay there. He's always said he likes playing in Phoenix because it's close to his family in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I would be stunned if he went anywhere else. Everyone's saying he'd go join the super team with the Lakers. With what money do they have to spend on Chris Paul? And rings are great, but $100 million is a lot better. So uh, I very <laughs> much anticipate Chris Paul staying with the Phoenix Suns, and I think that declining of the option is even more of a sign that he's going to be a part of that team's long-term future. And then you've got Kawhi Leonard, who's a peculiar case here because he's probably knowing Kawhi with injuries. He's going to take his dear sweet time coming back. He tore his ACL at the end of the postseason. I would be stunned almost. Granted, you can come back from a torn ACL in eight to ten months, but with Kawhi Leonard, it would not surprise me in the least to see him sit out this entire season, including the playoffs. So because of that, what deal does he sign? Because if he signs a one-and-one, one, meaning you sign for another year, and then the plus one is a player option, all he's doing 
is just robbing the Clippers blind to go into arguably unrestricted free agency again when he's ready to play. So what are the Clippers going to, are they going to allow him to do that? We have seen him finesse his way around the NBA multiple times now. And if he signs a one and one, we're going to be right back here with a healthy Kawhi doing real unrestricted free agency in the summer of 2022. But if it's a two and one or it's a full max extension, then of course, um, I, I certainly think he's staying in LA with the Clippers one way or another. It's just going to be what process does Kawhi want to use? What leverage does he want to use in his relationship with that front office uh, is going to be tested if it's a one plus one. Uh, another two players that could see themselves get these rookie extension deals could be Trey Young and Luka Doncic between Atlanta and Dallas. Between those two players, Rob, what do you see happening between Doncic or Young when it comes to the offseason? They're both getting paid as much money as possible. I don't think there's any other way to put it. They're going to get their max rookie extensions. They're going to get promotions from their shoe deals with Adidas and Jordan brand. They're, they're going to be driving around any car that they want. They will have generational wealth once this contract is complete. Uh, both of those guys have earned it. They are the up-and-coming rising stars that could potentially take over the league one day once the Giannis's retire and the KDs and LeBrons. These are the, the standard bearers of the NBA, uh, them amongst some other players here. So they're both getting max contracts, and if you're fans of them on their specific teams, they're not going anywhere. Rob, this is the first time we have had the pleasure of speaking with you since the Russell Westbrook deal being traded from Washington to L.A. to be a part of the Lakers. Now, the Lakers, the second shortest odds on the FanDuel Sportsbook at plus 440. What do you make of the deal to send Russ to Hollywood in the fit now with the Lakers? I think it's all been said at this point, but I worry as much as the guy next to me about how this is going to work in terms of uh, running an offense that relies on three-point shooting. LeBron James is the best three-point shooter on the roster right now, it feels like. And they certainly will probably get back THT and Alex Caruso using their bird rights, but they are ham they are hamstrung right now by those contracts between AD, LeBron, and Westbrook. All they're really going to be able to do is fill in the slots around those guys with veteran minimums. And I'm looking at if they could acquire, somehow get Wayne Ellington onto this team, when all Wayne Ellington has been doing for the past decade is bouncing around different NBA teams, shooting 40-plus percent from three-point land. You saw how much they missed Danny Green from the bubble. And now that they lost Contavious Caldwell-Pope, their three and D guys are essentially limited to THT and Alex Caruso. And they need more depth there. So the spacing, of course, is a problem because Russell Westbrook can't shoot threes. He's a liability on the defensive side. But he is a playmaker. He's the playmaker that Dennis Schroeder was supposed to be. And those three guys are talented enough and have a good enough chemistry that I have to imagine they're probably going to figure it out. But if we get into a playoff series and a seven-game series against a team like the Phoenix Suns that really locks down on the interior and forces you to make some tough shots from out there, I'm going to start to worry there about can Russell Westbrook do it at this point in his career? I don't know if the answer is yes, but for now, they absolutely should be the overwhelming favorites. Two different players that were some of the best and biggest assist leaders for the last two years. LeBron two years ago, Russell Westbrook this past year. It's another all-star team. We'll see if the Lakers can get the job done. Second best odds behind the Nets on the FanDuel Sportsbook to win it all. Worldwide Wild Rob Perez, thanks for joining us from over at FanDuel, and we'll see you next week. You got it, guys.
Coming up next, it's our best bets of the day until bet to us part. We're both going to the same game, Ben and I. That could be dangerous, but I think we're on the same page, which sometimes scares me. You'll find out what it is. It's a late game coming up tonight. You're listening here on Sirius XM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Network. Final segment coming up next. Dispensing SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Morning after on Sports Grid. Thanks for tuning in on Sirius XM Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. It's time for our best bets of the day. Let's get to to bet to us part. I lied. Completely honest. I lied. I thought Ben was going with a best bet that was similar to mine, and he decided to bail. I'm still going to ride my best bet of the day, and that's the first five over five and a half runs between the Diamondbacks and the Giants tonight. These two teams have gone over this number seven out of the ten times that they've played each other within those first five innings. They've gone over a number of five and a half. In fact, that six or more runs have been scored in seven out of those ten matchups. The Diamondbacks have the second most overs to hit when they're playing at home in Arizona, and between divisional rivals, these two have the top five most overs when playing their division. Over five and a half, first five innings between the Diamondbacks and the Giants. Ben, what do you got? And I do really like that, Ariel. And I also do like the Giants team total over of five and a half in that game against the D-backs for all the reasons you highlighted. I just hope I have a better best bet here. And that is a team total under looking at the Miami Marlins team total under of three today in their game in Miami against the New York Mets. For the reasons you highlighted the over, I look to the under. Both of these teams, Miami and New York, are top five in the highest under percentages in Major League Baseball. We highlighted the Mets having the highest under percentage at home in MLB this year at 68.8%. Well, Miami at home this year has the fourth highest under percentage as well at 57.5%. And the Mets starter today in Tyler McGill has been so, so good in the last month. In the month of July, he has a 104 ERA. In his last five starts, he has given up a combined three earned runs. So I look to Miami's team total, take the under of that three. Breaking news to end the show, the quarterback for the Colts, Carson Wentz, will undergo foot surgery. He's expected to miss 5 to 12 weeks to start the NFL season. Not good for the Colts. Curious to see how the lines move for the next 24 hours in that division. Thanks for joining us here on the morning after on Sports Grid. For Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. We'll see you tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern time here on The Grid. Lost in a sea of stats, averages, and injury reports? It's okay. 